Welcome back to the 44th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories about Ukraine and some of the terrible and horrific actions that Russia has been doing to the Ukrainian power grid and how it affects the Ukrainian people. And then also we have one article talking about the involuntary removal of homeless people from the streets of New York and the hospitalization afterwards. And of course, we will end a day with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our daily debate. How should the world punish Russia for its war crimes in Ukraine. I mean, we've already seen some brutal images coming out of the country throughout the entire war. Now, Russia is attacking key infrastructure within the country. And not only does this harm the military effort of the Ukrainians, but also it affects the people as well. And we've already placed on tariffs, uh, restrictions to access key markets and key materials that they need to produce certain aspects of their war machine. We've already put restrictions on the accounts of many of its large, wealthy oligopoly. So, or sorry, technically the oligarchs. So how do we punish them from here? Do we take them to the International Criminal Court and talk about the fact that they are violating international law? human rights law with inhumane actions? I don't necessarily know, but I think it's a question that we need to start thinking about because a lot of reports are coming out that Ukraine's doing really well. And obviously we're in the West, so they're going to have their opinions and they're going to say what they need to say to make sure that we keep supporting them. Especially, I highlight this in the next two articles. But if Ukraine really is coming out on top and they push Russia back, though I don't see Russia surrendering, at some point, if they do give up, we have to address how are we going to handle the war crimes that they committed during this war. So I think we need to start having that discussion. If you have any thoughts, please throw it down in the comments section. I'm very curious about this one. All right, let's jump into our first article that comes from the New York Times. U.S. pledges $53 million to help fix Ukraine's electrical grid. So NATO officials last Tuesday met to discuss an ongoing situation in Ukraine, among other issues. Quote, Bucharest, Romania, officials of the Northern Atlantic Treaty Organization, they could have just said NATO, but whatever, on Tuesday stressed their commitment to eventually allowing Ukraine to become a member of the military alliance. But they spent the first day of the two-day summit focused on more immediate concerns helping the nation rebuild an electrical grid crippled by relentless Russian airstrikes. Over the past eight months, the United States and its allies have poured in billions to aid in the help Ukraine fend off the Russian invasion, largely in the form of weaponry, end quote. But as I mentioned, this discussion has really started to shift. And as the author points out here, there are situations where we could still provide weapons and of course they're going to do that i mean at the end of the day we have an a military industrial complex that profits per, from providing weapons 
to Ukraine. So, of course, we're going to continue to do that. But now that not only have the Russians been attacking key infrastructure, but it looks like the Ukrainians are going to be able to stabilize certain regions, the NATO countries are really starting to say, okay, now we need to worry about rebuilding their infrastructure. Not anything to the scale of like the Marshall Plan after World War II, but we need to start thinking about how we're going to help them rebuild after this war is over, or at least keep them rolling. Because a lot of these Russian efforts to take down the power grid to ensure that certain people won't have access to water, electricity, these are efforts to demoralize the populace, the people that aren't fighting, and even the people that are fighting, because they hear stories from their families about, oh, we can't get water in our house this week, we can't have electricity, the heaters aren't working, so... It's an effort to demoralize. So the West is saying, okay, no, Russia, we're not going to let you do this. We're not going to let you take the low blows and try to knock out the populace by essentially shutting down part of the Ukrainian power grid. We're going to step in, and we're going to make sure that Ukraine gets what it needs. And this really is the shift of the conversation. No longer is it just about directly defending themselves with weapons, but how to ensure their security and the security of the people beyond what they've already been doing. And I think that it's extremely crucial, and I think another reason they're having this conversation now is because we're coming into a cold European winter where I'll actually get to the numbers here in a little bit, so I don't want to give that away, but a large majority of people are going to have a hard time heating their homes or even having any form of heat at all. And this goes for countries outside of Ukraine as well. I mean, we know that Germany, France, even England to some degree are having high energy prices, which is causing a a little bit of an energy, I don't want to say crisis, but definitely concerns about going into this winter. It's probably there are going to be a lot of people who can't afford to actually heat their houses as often as they need to, and it may end up leading to a few different fatalities and casualties. So this is a serious concern, and it's good to see whether you agree with the war effort or not, at least on the human level, NATO is willing to address this and provide aid to those who need it. This is absolutely dreadful by the Russian military. Though we can't know for sure, I would say that it's a a clear sign that they are losing. This is a desperate move to sap out the conviction of the populace. And I think that there is room to say that the Russians are losing. I don't want to, like I said earlier, I don't know for sure. We have a very, I'm not there on the ground in Ukraine. I'm not reporting from the ground. We're getting biased filtrations of media. But if the Russians are willing to take this, if they're willing to violate human rights, and let's be clear, I'm not saying that they're not willing to normally. I'm not saying that they're the most ethical, moral regime. But if they're willing to take the heat internationally for it, then there's some evidence, or at least there's a indication that they are losing or not having the success that they want. I have another quote here that kind of dives into the specifics a little bit more. Quote, American officials pledged to give Ukraine $53 million to repair the electrical grid and sought to rally other allies to make similar offers. The aid 
commitment came as diplomats from more than 30 nations gathered in Bucharest, Romania, where the NATO Security General made clear that the alliance might one day expand to include Ukraine, a stance opposed by Vladimir Putin of Russia. Quote, NATO's door is open, end quote, said Jen Stossenberg, the Secretary General of NATO. But for the present, he said the war has to be the focus. Quote, NATO will continue to stand for Ukraine as long as it takes, Mr. Stoltenberg said, and we will not back down. Western officials say that Ukrainian reconstruction campaigns need to be considered a second front in the war. The American pledge that was made on Tuesday came from Secretary of State Anthony J. Blinken at a meeting of Group of Seven Nations, or G7, a few other partner countries on the sidelines of a two-day conclave of NATO foreign ministers, end quote. And this move by Russia to attack key infrastructure, it really has galvanized the commitment from the West. A lot of people in a lot of countries, though they were not going to pull their support from Ukraine, they were raising questions. Well, should we really be involved in this? Especially those in Germany saying, well, we are getting lambasted. We're not getting the energy that we need to survive a European winter. And we're taking on more refugees, so our system is extremely strained. Is this war actually worth it? But now that Russia's committing human rights atrocities, they're kind of forcing the hands of some of these NATO's co- NATO countries and saying, okay, if you're going to do that, we're all in again. And they've galvanized their opposition. And it kind of had the opposite effect of what they wanted. They're, they may demoralize some of the Ukrainians, but at the end of the day, it's doubling down on the efforts of the West to aid those Ukrainians who may feel disaffected and ensure that they can get everything they need, such as electricity and water, in the future. And they're also going to give, I'm not saying this 100%, but I would assume as part of the aid package, there is going to be some sort of temporary living assignments or housing camps where people can go in order to have hot water, in order to just have heat in general because their house may be too cold, so on and so forth. The attacks so far have taken down about 20 to 30% of the Ukrainian power grid, leaving thousands without power and access to clean water. The $53 million is proposed to be used to buy new transformers, circuits, and to make the reconstruction effort go quicker, which the Ukrainian people need in order to survive this cold, cold winter. And I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if more countries get behind this and back this and start pledging money as well, it can have a, a great impact. I wouldn't be surprised if you if you could go on GoFundMe right now and find a few different organizations that will take money in order to supply water, food, and maybe even a gas generator or heater to some of these families in Ukraine with this situation ever evolving. And let's be clear, I'm not saying you should go out and do that because I don't know which ones on GoFundMe or which organizations are 100% legitimate and will use your money in the best way, shape, or form. But if you really care about this issue, you can find the resources and do a little bit of research to determine which companies are good, and you can donate that way. And this is the beautiful thing about the age we live in. 
at the end of the day, this kind of information, during World War II, we had very little information about what was going on in some of the horrific, by the Nazis, with some of their horrific actions. And now, we have this beautiful technology called the internet, smartphones, that allows us to send crucial information across the world. And now we can actually, at the end of the day, influence what happens in other countries. So if you're very passionate about this one and you want to help, I would suggest that you find a means to help. Because at the end of the day, human rights atrocities are not acceptable on any front whatsoever. I think that we should be helping the Uyghur Muslims in China. I think that we should be aiding the people in Ukraine right now. Now, do I necessarily agree with all of the moves that we've made militarily and the antagonistic position we've taken against Russia and some other allies? Not necessarily. But at the end of the day, this is a human rights violation, and it's unacceptable, and I think we need to address this as much as we can. All right, so we're not technically done with this conversation, but we're going to look at a different aspect of it. This next article comes from the Wall Street Journal. Ukraine's power shortage forces millions of refugees into lengthier exile. So we've covered, or at least the last article covered, how this battle within Ukraine for infrastructure and these attacks by Russia have affected the people still in the country. But these attacks and resulting power grid failures are forcing some that had wished to return home to stay abroad. Quote, Russia's attacks on Ukraine's civilian infrastructure are forcing millions of Ukrainian refugees who intended to return home to stay put, prolonging their ordeal and straining Europe's ability to absorb one of the biggest flows of migrants in decades. Moscow's repeated strikes on power stations and heating equipment has caused rolling blackouts in Ukraine and deprived millions across the country of power, heating, and running water amid sub-zero temperature. As it struggles to keep the light up, lights on, Kiev is now urging Ukrainian refugees to stay where they are for now. And, you know, these people, they really, they cannot catch a break. First, they're being forced from their homes. And yes, at the end of the day, some of them didn't have to leave, but some of them did. Their cities were being invaded. Their land was being encroached upon. So they were forced to leave their homes. And, you know, that's even if they have homes anymore. They, it could very well be piles of rubble at, at this point, considering all the attacks on civilian infrastructure and civilian areas that Russia has done. And now they're being told, no, 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 you, you shouldn't come back. It's not safe or we can't necessarily handle you back in this country. They just cannot catch a break. And there's another interesting aspect to this, which, you know, I didn't necessarily grab quotes for, but I thought was a, a very interesting thing, which is these Ukrainian refugees have been in these countries for so long that now they've started to send their kids to the schools in the local area. And that starts to raise the question, do I uproot my kids from the school they're in right now, from the friends they're making, from the key language, basically fundamentals that they're learning, some of the different techniques that you need to build upon at a young age in order to have a proper learning experience and then throw them back into Ukrainian schools once everything's back in order. So it's actually 
raising the question, do we now just stay in this country because we've already committed our kids to this school and we don't want to ruin their academic experience by shifting them to a totally different curricula and have them be completely out of whack for a whole year. That could set them back long term. And it's an interesting aspect of this conversation, which I think the the New York Times doesn't elaborate on. Sorry, the Wall Street Journal doesn't elaborate on. It discusses that some parents have already put their kids in schools, but it's a interesting aspect that it doesn't go into, which is very important in these situations, which is at this point, it's been so long that they're starting to get jobs, they're starting to set up lives. And at what point are they actually going to consider going back if it's going to uproot their new life, even though their old life was uprooted? So we may see that after the war is over, if it ends anytime soon, that a majority of the population may not come back. Maybe the parents come back and the kids stay if they're old enough to go to school there. Or maybe the one parent goes back to check on their relatives to stay with them and another parent stays in these other countries. I mean, there, there are lots of different options here, and I think it's an interesting aspect of the conversation. But let's get back on topic here. So there are nearly 8 million Ukrainians scattered across the rest of Europe at this point, with more likely to be coming their way without power and water for the winter. Quote, for the host countries, it means the bill is likely to rise just as the continent is facing a potential recession. Uncertainties about its own energy supplies and an increase in refugee arrivals from the Middle East and elsewhere. Quote, I'm not afraid of the bombs, but without electricity, water, and heating, you can't work. You can't have a normal life, said Lisa Cherniakova. And let's be clear, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Not that I think she's listening to this because an American talking about European and Ukrainian problems, she probably doesn't care whatsoever. Uh, she fled with her partner to Berlin in March and has since lived in a small apartment of a German friend. So with all of this extra strain being put on these host countries and the fact that energy prices are soaring heading into the winter, this is really a, a diabolical move on the part of Russia. And I had discussed in the first article how it's meant to lower the morale of the people within the country, but I saved this aspect of it because it's also meant to lower the morale of the allies, the people that are next to Ukraine who are giving them financial support, that are taking on their refugees. Russia is already starving them out with not providing as much natural gas as they normally would. Now they're forcing more people to leave Ukraine and create more refugees, which strains those countries that are taking in those refugees even more and are already having the energy crisis. And at the end of the day, with the monetary promises that some countries are making to help fix the electrical grid, it's another aspect of Russia forcing these countries to spend more money to help Ukraine. And it's a really diabolical, multi-level strategy on the part of the Russians. And I would love to say, no, it's just, it's blind luck that it, they're not doing it on purpose or they don't necessarily know what they're doing. But I'm, I hate to say that I think the Russians are diabolical and scheming enough to know exactly what their moves are doing. And they're strategical enough to do it, even if it has terrible consequences for people. Quote, since the Kremlin began its systematic campaign in October to destroy the Ukraine's energy infrastructure, a war crime under international law, over half of the country's power-generated capacity has been 
incapacitated, along with most of the electricity distributed through the network, according to Kiev, forcing authorities to impose rolling blackouts. Schools, gyms, and other public buildings are being turned into shelters heated by diesel generators to prevent people from freezing at home. The rate of Russian bombardment means that another up to 3 million Ukrainians are likely to flee their homes this winter, said Hans Klug, Europe Regional Director for the World Health Organization, end quote. And while I don't agree with all of the U.S. efforts to support Ukraine in general, I, I do support this one, as mentioned before. These kinds of actions by Russia are absolutely horrific, and it's going to push more hesitant, more moderate Americans to rethink their position. But then again, as I mentioned in the daily debate, we are getting all of these articles from the West who are obviously anti-Russia. They have a bias, and this reporting has touched my heartstrings. It's very emotional reporting, and that's exactly what it's meant to do. It's meant to pull at your heartstrings and make you say, oh, those poor Ukrainians, we need to support them. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to say, oh, those poor Ukrainians and be demeaning. I'm trying to remove the emotion from them and be logical, which is at the end of the day, there are interests, the military industrial complex, the, the media, certain politicians that are for this war. There are other interests that are against this war, but there are interests that are for this war. And when you see articles like this, you have to step back, take the emotion out of it and say, is this the right thing to do devoid of your emotional thinking? And to be honest, I don't know whether this is the right thing to do devoid of my emotional thinking. But I'll tell you now, at least I'm sitting here analyzing it, understanding that, and still letting the, and still saying, I'm going to let this emotional argument through. I'm going to let this one through because I do believe that these people deserve to be able to live in their own country without having to worry about making it through a cold winter without water or electricity. Now, maybe that's me being a little bit naive and being a bit young and idealistic, but at least you got to take the time to look at your value assumptions, look at how you perceive things, and understand where you're going wrong, where your logic's failing, and at least owning up to that. And though I don't do it all the time, I think in this instance, I think it's important to point out, because you got to do that yourselves. Whenever you're reading certain articles that really pull on the emotional strings, or have a certain argument that you already agree with. You have to be able to detach yourself from it or at least try as much as possible and look at it from a logical point of view in order to break it down and truly understand the substance of the matter. All right, so enough, you know, high and mighty ranting for me. Oh, I got all this logic. At the end of the day, you'll figure it out for yourself. You're smart people, especially if you've made it this far. All right. So, our last article comes from HuffPost. New York City will involuntarily remove and hospitalize homeless people. So, Mayor of New York Eric Adams has really elevated the battle against the homelessness crisis in New York. Quote, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced a plan on Tuesday to involuntarily remove homeless people with mental illness from the streets and subways and force them to receive psychiatric evaluations. At a news conference on Tuesday, Adams said the city has a moral obligation to help all the homeless people with mental illness 
get treatment and care. The plan authorizes police officers to involuntarily hospitalize homeless people who appear to be mentally ill or pose a threat to themselves or others. Involuntary hospitalization is required even if the homeless person doesn't appear to pose an imminent threat to the public, end quote. And, you know, recently there have been a number of violent attacks, people pushing people onto subway tracks. Uh, the R word that YouTube absolutely hates of women while they've been out running in the morning. So there have been violent crimes committed by a certain segment of the population. And Eric Adams was going to be a hard-on-crime mayor, and he was also intended to crack down on the homeless uh, crisis. He's already removed a lot of encampments across New York, so he's already done some things. But this is just the next step. And I think at the end of the day, we have to really evaluate why they're doing it. If they're doing it because their systems have failed, because they haven't been able to provide housing for these people like they promised they would, like certain Democrats said they would, and they have to just get it out of sight, out of mind, then I think that this is a, a bad policy. If they truly do believe that's a moral obligation to get these people into those facilities that they need to be in to address these mental health issues, I think it's a good thing. I, I don't necessarily agree with involuntarily involuntary hospitalization but a lot of people with these mental illnesses don't necessarily know or can't admit to themselves that they need to be in a hospital and being treated for these mental illnesses and i think at the end of the day if we could have a voluntary outreach system where somehow instead of using the tax dollars for the police officers who are going to have to force them to go have an outreach program where we say to these people, hey, we will give you completely free psychiatric care for the first six months, and then from there you have to get a job, and we'll make sure that any job that you do get, we'll set up a program for you. 50% of that goes towards, or whatever the portion would be that's needed to pay the psychiatrist for that ongoing treatment. That would A portion of the money would go to that. Not only does that ensure that they can't waste the money they do earn, but also it goes directly to the psychiatrists who are treating them, so they are obligated to go. And if they're like, well, I'm working hard for this money, I might as well go to the psychiatrist that I'm paying for. You know, and obviously that's not a, I'm not the most in-depth, I don't have the most in-depth understanding of the homeless crisis and how to fix it. That is just a brief overview, and if you have opinions about what I just said and how it's wrong, please throw them down in the comment section. I'm willing to admit that I am not the most informed about the best policies that have the greatest impact on this uh, crisis that's going on across the nation, not just in New York. So there's been an increase, an interesting response, in my opinion, from the left, who is normally not so quick to suggest if ever to suggest that commitment to institutions to address mental health issues is necessary. But Adams had some strong and tough rhetoric on the issue. Quote, the very nature of mental illness keeps them from realizing they need intervention and support. Without that intervention, they remain lost and isolated from society, tormented by delusions and disordered thinking, Adams said, end quote. And I think while this policy will likely be perceived as forceful and will cost the taxpayer more money to 
ensure that these people get to the hospitals and have the care they need. It's a step in the right direction. If these individuals are truly mentally ill, then they need to receive the help that they wouldn't be willing to get themselves. And yes, if I was a taxpayer in New York, I would be willing to pay a little bit of extra in taxes to ensure that a certain segment of the population not only gets the mental health need, uh, the mental health help that they need, but also to get them off the streets so that they can be a even more productive member of society. Maybe they're on the streets and they're creating music and they're doing something beautiful. That great, they're great part of society. They're adding to the culture of the nation, but they could be even more productive and add even more value to the economy and to society as a whole if they are working hard and they have addressed their mental illness and they're back in the system working maybe at a grocery store. Maybe they used to be a broker and they went down a, long, a terrible dark path. Maybe they can go back to their brokerage firm and add value to other people's pension funds and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, this is wasted human capital. This is wasted intellectual capital. People just sitting there not doing anything with their lives. And I'm not saying that it's their fault. I'm not saying that they're lazy. I'm saying that if they're choosing to do nothing with their lives, that's different. But if these people are mentally ill and this can be addressed, that is wasted potential. That is wasted capital that we have chosen as a society to throw off to the side and say, no, your, your mental capital is less valuable. So we should try at least to bring these people back in and ensure that they're treated as human beings, not like people or things we just walk by on the street. Uh there are a few other quotes. Well, there's one other quote that I'll actually highlight here. But the plan to involuntarily remove and hospitalize homeless people raises some concerns and criticisms. Maria Town, the president and CEO of American Association of People with Disabilities, said in a tweet that the plan is a violation of rights and aims to make homeless people less visible rather than improving their outcome. New York City Council member Tiffany Kuban said also in a tweet that the plan was deeply problematic in that deadly situations are often created by the wrong responder and response rather than the mental health crisis itself, end quote. So obviously Adams has some detractors, and this is not a agreed-upon-by-everyone solution. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's a, a good policy. I do think that there could be a problem with creating a stigma that homelessness and mental health are necessarily linked and that that is why all people are homeless. Some people choose just to be homeless or some people have just been kicked out of their homes and have hit hard times. And we shouldn't commit them to hospitals and different institutions just because they've fallen on hard times and we think, oh, maybe they have mental illness because they're homeless. So I do agree there could be a stigma created from this kind of action long term, but we'll have to see how it all pans out. All right, so we've gone through some some negative stuff, and I think that at this point it's time for a little bit of positivity. So let's get to our daily delight. This one comes from For the Win. Lioness four cubs create cutest traffic jam ever. So I know that everybody has experienced a traffic jam at some point. And they can be extremely frustrating. But, quote, recent footage captured in South Africa's Kruger National Park shows a mama lion gracefully leading her four cubs along a paved road while tourists follow closely behind. 
Watch as the lioness and her four furry cubbies cause a cute traffic jam ever. The cutest traffic jam ever in Kruger National Park. Wildest Kruger sightings describes Tuesday on Facebook, end quote. And I mean, if you're going to be late for work, at least you can come in with some really cool photos and tell your boss, oh, look at this cute little lion that was in my way. Quote, the lioness stately and confidently paused briefly to monitor her surroundings and check her cubs. While some vehicles appeared to be following too close, the lion seemed accustomed to their presence and paid them little mind, end quote. If you want to see any of the cute photos or videos, they will, or if you want to read any of the other articles from today, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button. Down there also in the description is my Twitter handle, at Your Daily Flip. You can go there, try to post something daily, retweet, comment, just some sort of information that allows you to be up to date on certain issues. And on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I post a link to the podcast so you can go directly from Twitter rather than having to search on it, search on YouTube for it. All right. With that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.